Welcome back to season two of the Run Culture Podcast. My name is Dane Verway. I'm an experienced running physiotherapist, coach, and marathoner. This season will involve open discussions with my running colleagues about the key principles behind injury-free running and optimal performance. It'll be backed by personal experience, science, and history. I can only hope some of these chats inspire curiosity and expand or confirm perspectives and beliefs amongst the running community. Anyway, I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome back to another Run Culture podcast episode. My name's Dane Verway, and today I chat with good friend from New Zealand, Caden Shields. Caden is fresh off his 2.13.30 marathon in Hamburg the other day, and we chat a bit about that today. But we also talk about a topic that I've wanted to talk about for a little while now, and it's this idea that belief is so important in training and how much you believe in the training that you do is very important. So why is this important? Obviously, if you believe in something, you're more likely to um, be motivated, um, pay attention, uh, compliant, uh, attentive to you know small details, happy and confident come race day. So these are all great qualities. Um, you're more likely to tick the boxes and uh, dot your I's, cross your T's. But the other idea is that belief fosters a placebo effect. So um, if you believe in something enough and it makes sense to you, um, then uh, there are these, uh, yeah, biochemically real changes that um, are fostered because of this. Um, So the way that we think, it actually triggers off this cascade of signals um, through your body that actually, um, you know, helps um, uh, dictate how responsive uh, we are going to be, um, yeah, physiologically. So the idea that the way we think actually can ha- um, influence our physiological response is just fascinating. And I talk about a few uh, examples of this from uh uh, two two highly read and credible practitioners uh, in the placebo field, John Keeley and Alia Crum, and talk about a couple of um, examples that they talk about in their research and their um, uh, reviews on placebo. So what is placebo? So placebo pretty much is uh, if you have like an inert, inactive uh, substance or or intervention that actually has a significant uh therapeutic effect um and and really what it's our thoughts that um foster this placebo effect so if you believe in something uh you know suddenly like hormonally immune system wise uh uh, and and pain relief wise um it, it, that's all influenced um, by our thoughts. Uh, 
And so our the way that we adapt um, is very much dictated by our mindset and the way that we think of something. If if we are stressed and worried about something and fearful, then that will dictate how much cortisol and various other um, chemicals um, and hormones are released. And then that um, impinges on how effective our immune system um, is and how adaptive we will be to the training. So yeah, really important to, to know that when we are doing our running training, does your running training, um, do you believe in it? Do you actually think, do you understand why you're doing it? Um, and if not, start questioning things like that. Do you have a great relationship with your coach where um, you feel like you can, um, you have um, a warm relationship where they, um, you really trust them, they're credible, they, they know their stuff and you feel like they know their stuff and they are good listeners. They understand you, they know you as well. If you've got that, then you've got the the key ingredients to believe to believe in the training that you're doing and and to tinker with your training as you go, but still very much believe in it. Uh, we talk about the importance of believing in not just your training, not just your coach, but also believing in yourself um, out there on race day as well. And a couple of um, the things that went through Caden's mind when he was out there in Hamburg. I hope you enjoy this chat. I hope I haven't waffled on for too long. I hope I've made a modicum of sense and I hope you get something out of this. Um, and even if it just means that when you're prescribing your training, you're not just thinking of things in terms of, oh, that's going to you know, improve my lactate threshold. Oh, that's going to improve this and that um, physiologically. Um, are you factoring in where your belief is at the pre- current state and how can you improve um that idea all right if you get that from this podcast and you've got what i wanted i hope you enjoy the chat here it is a brief interlude from the show guys before i get back to it if you have any running injuries or running questions training indecisions and you want to book an online or in-person physiotherapy appointment with myself dane burway go to www.runculture.org. While there, you can also find a link to my online strength and conditioning community where you'll join an exclusive members-only Facebook group and gain access to over 220-minute running-specific mobility, Pilates, or strengthening routines. Anyway, enough from me. Let's get back to the show. I'll quickly run through it. Like I wanted to talk about the importance of belief um, and... Believing in yourself, your coach, uh, your training program, and believing that you can do it, say, on race day when it gets hard, and, and how important that is. Um, yeah, I mean, it like it it kind of comes across as, oh, yeah, that's obvious. Like, yeah, you've, you've got to believe in yourself to, to um, yeah, for it, I don't know, be motivated, to be confident, to be happy. Um, uh, to attend to things that that um, you need to attend to, um, and for your coach athlete sort of relationship to work, um, you've got to kind of understand your your training um, to to sort of believe in it. Like it, it kind of comes across as like 
yeah, ov- obvious. Um, but like, I feel like, um, uh, yeah, there's, there's a little bit more to it. Um, even with the idea that, um, uh, if you believe in something enough, um, there's, there's highly likely that there's going to be some kind of placebo kind of effect that we can nurture, um, in terms of, uh, uh, improvement. So not just the, you know, the effect of, okay, yeah, you did some training and you actually physiologically got better, but the actual idea that, um, uh, your system just works, works better if you, if you, uh, believe in it and you're in that good spot from a mindset point of view, like, um, uh, so yeah, I wanted to sort of talk about that aspect because I think, um, nurturing that aspect of training is under talked about. Um, and often you see like, um, oh, and I've been guilty of it. Like you're like, oh, just do this program. Um, and you're not really, um, explaining it and you're not actually getting that athlete buy-in. You're like, you just say it because you've seen it work in the past. So you think it's all down to the actual training program. But I think, um, we've got to appreciate that, um, yeah, an aspect of improvement is just, um, to an extent because of placebo, it's that, that belief, um, uh, in something. Um, and yeah, I've been listening to a few like really good, uh, podcasts about it. Um, I'm not sure if you heard John Keely talk much or Aaliyah Crum, uh, at all. Um, but they, like Aaliyah Crum's really good, um, to listen to in terms of like, that whole idea um, of um, how you think and your mindset really does change how um, your biochemistry kind of operates and works and um, and it can change the, the resulting sort of outcome. Uh, yeah, so yeah, I don't know um, whether you just want to get cracking into it now or um, uh, yeah, we keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll, um, yeah, just talk about Aaliyah Crum's, uh, study that really influenced me just recently when I listened to it a couple of months ago. Um, and she was talking about the idea of, um, these room attendants. So she studied these room attendants and she studied them because she wanted to see if there was a placebo effect, um, to exercise. And these room attendants, they did a lot of exercise, um, and they, um, did more than enough. It was like, um, throughout the day, just doing their job. So just, um, cleaning the rooms, making the beds, lifting, um, and then moving around and taking a lot of steps each day. So they, they did a lot of exercise, but they didn't know it. Um, they thought they were just doing their job. Uh, and then, so half of the group, she, they told the group that, do you know, you actually do a lot of exercise, like you're doing above what's recommended. Um, you're doing what, um, um, thought of as healthy. Um, and so they did this to half the room attendants and the other half, they didn't tell them anything. It was just a 15 minute education session. And then they measured things like blood pressure, um, and weight, um, uh, self-esteem, um, and, uh, job fulfillment. And for the group that was given this 15 minute education session, four weeks later, um, they actually, their blood pressure dropped, um, their job satisfaction increased, um, 
uh, they lost a little bit of weight um, and their self-esteem improved. Um, and the only difference was that they were told that um, their job was, um, you know, a good amount of exercise. So because they were more aware of this, um, uh, the, the same thing that they were doing, you know, for the, their whole life, like it had, a, it had a different sort of net effect on them. Um, so yeah, I thought that was fascinating. Um, and then she did this one other study, um, and then I'll, I'll pause and, 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 uh, get your take on it. Um, but this other study was about milkshakes and, um, the same people had a milkshake one week apart and the first milkshake, they were educated that it's the same milkshake both times, but they were educated that this time you're having a really healthy organic milkshake. It's really good for you. And then a week later they were told, okay, this time you're having an indulgent, um, kind of milkshake, kind of like the thick shake that you get from Macca's. Um, and then they, um, measured, uh, um, some physiological responses um, uh, after the, 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 they ingested the milkshake. And the peptide ghrelin, which is like an appetite, it, it sort of dictates how full you are. It, it changed, I'm not sure which direction, but it changed threefold between the groups. Um, and like that fascinated, fascinated me because they, they, at, at different time periods, they had the same milkshake, but their response physiologically was very different. Um, yeah, so like in, to, taking this into context with a training, training kind of um, you know uh, lens on, like from a training perspective, um, like I, I feel like it shows that how important the coach athlete relationship is, how important it is to believe in you know, what you're doing from a training perspective is. Um, and um, if, you're, if you're not believing in what you're doing training-wise, um, then it's going to actually, like, take away um, how effective the training actually is. Um, yeah, I mean, what do you have to say about all this? I know I've, you know, given you, like, a heap of information all at once. Yeah, no, I agree. I think um, there's a lot to say about feeling as though you're on the right path um you know a lot of our what i understand of the dopam of dopamine i usually get a lot of dopamine release from the process so if you feel as though your process is in the right direction you tend to have a bit of time um so i think yeah there's a lot to be said about um belief you know i think if you reflect back on the influence that arthur lydia had on new zealand running for example um just talking to guys like barry mcgee um, was one of Arthur's original athletes. He uh, had a, a huge belief in the process with Arthur and still swears by it today. Um, and you can really see how the, the effect of belief on those guys made a massive, you know, had a huge influence on their performance, particularly at um, major championships. And then, you know, there's a story about Peter Snell in the back of the taxi on the way to the Rome Olympic Stadium in 1960. Um, and the main thing he was worried about is how fast they were going to go because he wanted to know, you know, he wanted to be sure he could break the Olympic record. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, was so, he believed so much in the fact that he was going to win and um, that he was more concerned about whether or not they were going to go out fast enough that he could break the Olympic record. So, um, yeah, I think there's a huge, uh, huge 
play part to play and belief um but then also it has to have some substance behind it so you can't have just false belief there has to be some evidence that what you're doing is the correct thing um and that's generally what's happened in the past so you know i think about myself as an athlete like you know i certainly have a lot of doubts leading up to big races that go through my mind i think that's quite a normal thing and i don't think that we should try and give this um glossy sort of idea that athletes don't experience doubts but i think one of the key things is to believe in yourself so um you know for me personally you know i have a huge amount of faith in my coach chris Pallone, um and that's taken work like you know we've we've worked together for since 2013 now so that's yeah, nine years so um you know we've worked very closely together since that and had a couple of years where i wasn't running that well um but you know we, i still trusted the process and um obviously we've been able to get some good results and and now our system's quite well developed but then we're also not afraid to change it so i'm always you know leading up to hamburg two weeks ago for example that's probably the most conservative marathon build-up i've had it was only eight weeks and i think i only did uh what did i do four tempo runs in the build-up so it was pretty low-key compared to some of the other build-ups i've had and that was just because chris reckoned that every other build-up i've done was too long and so you know i trust the man a lot so i was like well yeah i'm gonna go off what he says yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it worked brilliantly so it was the most mentally refreshed and physically refreshed I felt going into a marathon. I think that reflected in the performance. Um, but, you know, that, that has taken some work in the background to have that belief. So, but then, yeah, like I said before, believing in yourself is really important. So, you know, having some set, I, I like to go by some set values and um, they're less outcome orientated, but more process driven. And again, that's sort of intertwined with the effect of dopamine where, for me, if I can go into a race and know that I race courageously um, and also if I'm honest about the quality of my preparation, so making sure that, you know, the week leading up to the race oh, and the preparation as a whole, the whole build-up that I've done everything really, really well um, in line with how I want to perform. So, you know, for me, if I want to be seen as a as a good to great marathon runner, then how does it actually look like on a day-to-day basis in terms of preparation? Um, are these way I'm behaving in line with that, how I'm approaching my training, how I'm approaching my recovery. So um, if I can stand on the start line of a race and be honest with myself that I've done those things and then also um, be in a mindset in the race where, you know, I'm going to race courageously and and put myself out there and not be afraid to fail, then, um, you know, I can finish happy. So, yeah, I think not a lot is not blind faith or blind belief or arrogance, but it's, um just you know making sure that your belief comes from things that are um deep and meaningful to you yeah yes um yeah when i was thinking of doing this topic i'm like oh every other podcast i've done in this season has sort of been about decision making and being open and um uh being open to change and and not being stuck in your ways and um and and being and then I was like, oh, well, isn't like to, to have belief, like, shouldn't you like not like, shouldn't you be very decisive and you sort of like, not, this is the way I'm doing it. Like I've got to commit to this sort of 
way of training or this um, methodology or this thought process. Um, uh, so it's it's a little bit different. Um, but I, I and and I think it's important that I just make a distinction in that um, uh, there is a moment in time where you know what you know and you you sort of have to just try that kind of way of thinking and that plan out um, for mm. fit and and to see how you go with it um, and then once you've given it enough of a go depending on how successful it was. Um, uh, th that's when you can alter and tinker, tinker with it. Um, so like, um, yeah, I feel like, um, it's very hard to get belief if you're always changing things and you're, you're always like, oh, well, it could be this or it could be that there's comes a time where you've kind of got to go, no, nah, this is what I think at the moment. And, uh, this is, uh, what I believe is going to work, um, for one reason or another you know, um, and, uh, we've, we've got to commit, um, to things. Um, like you spoke about your relationship with Chris, um, Caden, uh, and like it obviously taken a while, like, um, to foster, foster that belief in his decision-making and, and go, yep. Yeah, okay. I, I, I really back what Chris is saying here, like a shorter prep was going to be good for me. Um, uh, yeah. What are, I guess some of the, like, things um over time that has helped foster that belief in your ability because i know in previous chats just privately like you knew you could run quicker than 215 um like you were very sure of it what are some of the things that made you so believing yourself so much over time yeah that's a good question yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i think uh i surprised myself in doha like you know I ran Gold Coast in 2019, 215, and, and that was, I always believed I could do that. Um, I believed I could have run a bit quicker that day, for various reasons I didn't. Um, but anyway, you know, I sort of learned from that. And then Doha, again, I went and I bet a lot of runners that probably on paper I shouldn't have. And um, again, I remember crossing the line in Doha going, oh, I'm actually not too bad at this marathon thing. <laughs> <laughs> I seem to go all right here. <laughs> I was a little bit confused after Doha because I didn't really know how good of a run it was. I was like, was it good? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sort of, but then I looked at the results and I was like much closer to my PB than um, a lot of the guys in the race. I think there might have been one other guy that ran closer to his PB than I did. So yep. I sort of, well, I coped for that pretty well. Um, and then... Yeah, so that gave me quite a lot of belief um, in my ability. And then, um, you know, my training going into Hamburg, well, even my training going into the race in Penrith last year was quite a bit better than Doha. And then, again, um, this last build-up, even though it was shortened and then uh, a bit more concise, was still better. I didn't, I probably didn't get better until the last tempo. Oh, my long runs were going quite well, and then my last tempo... 10 days out, I just did 30 minutes and I averaged 308 and my heart rate was still nine, eight beats below anaerobic threshold. So when I did that, I was like, oh yeah, I'm capable of going in 65, 30. Um, so that, that gave me quite a bit of belief. So my beliefs are due to um, objective data, I suppose. Um, so there was, but you know, then again, I had to be fairly 
brave to go out at 65.30 pace, I think. And, yeah. you know, I didn't tell too many people that I was going to do that because they probably, you know, wouldn't have agreed with it. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, again, Chris and I chatted and we really didn't make a decision until we found out the pacing groups. And, I mean, in my heart, I was always keen to go for 2.11, but, you know, Chris and I didn't really start talking about it until about a week out from the race. And then it just was a no-brainer, like, I wasn't going to go all the way to Germany and go at 2.15 pace. The options were go at 2.11 or go at 2.15. And, yeah, it was just like, that, you know, running 2.15 didn't excite me at all. Yep. Um, and I was prepared to take a bit of a risk. So, yeah, so I think it is a lot of it's been fostered on objective data. But then also, you know, Chris and I have learned a lot about my ability with the marathon training and other races. And, um, and so that's you know, help fuel our decision-making and, you know, we've been, Chris is very good at analysing things and he gives me very honest opinions. He doesn't ever sugarcoat anything. Um, he's not afraid to tell me that I've done something not quite right or, you know, and he's not afraid to change his own ways as well. He's very non-dogmatic. So, um, so yeah, our kind of conversation is very honest and open about performance and training and, um, he's yeah very unafraid of telling me what he thinks, which is great. So I think um, I'm always yeah even with a race, I'm always oh well, if I don't run well, we'll be able to chat about it afterwards and make a decision about why. You know, it's not going to be it's not blaming anybody. It's you know we'll figure it out together, and it's a very collegial relationship and mutual a lot of mutual respect, which is awesome. So. What was going through your head at halfway, like um, in Hamburg, like you go through, do a half marathon PB, um, like, like surely there's a bit of trepidation. Like, I mean, like, like, um, like you obviously planned to do it. Like it was so that you were, you know, still um, a chance to to run that two eleven thirty qualifying time. Um, yeah, what what was going through your head at that point, honestly? Um, like, how how were you going with your belief, and um, how were you going with like just talking yourself through it? Because um, it's one thing to believe in, in yourself before you start, but then when it gets hard out there, like, what were some of the things that you're doing to stay stay sort of um, positive? I actually cracked a bit of a joke down you began and oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh mate, just ran a half marathon PB. <laughs> <laughs> he was starting to get a bit tired then, so I didn't find it very amusing at all. <laughs> um, I was just having fun, eh? Like, um, yeah, it was really difficult uh, traveling. I mean, you know, people spend time away from their family all the time, but I particularly found it hard spending the first, you know, spending 12 days away from Fletcher and Rachel. And, you know, the, one of the conversations I had with Rachel during the week was like, you know, I've just really got to make sure I enjoy this race. Like, I don't want to come all the way over to Germany and be feeling sorry for myself or get stuck into a poor me loop, you know. Like, yeah. This is an amazing opportunity. It's an opportunity I've been hanging out for since 2020. Like, you know, I made a promise to myself when the first lockdown happened um, that I... You know, I remember discussing it with Kerry Evans by email. He's like, whoever comes, who comes out of this best is going to be the one that uses this time the best. And so from that point onwards, I was like, all right, I'm just going to do everything that I can to be a better marathon runner when the opportunity arises for me to race internationally again. And, you know, at that point in time, we really didn't know how long that was going to be. 
there were quite a few moments throughout those two years where, you know, I thought I might have had an opportunity and then the opportunity kind of went away. You know, there was opportunities to race in Italy and it was just too difficult with New Zealand's quarantine system and um, the cost of that and time away from work and family. So, you know, to finally be in Germany um, racing an awesome race like Hamburg, having an opportunity, we had four pacemakers going at 211 pace. I was like, I haven't trained for two years to... You know, with the, the difficulties that we faced during that time to, to not have a crack. And, um, yeah, and the promise I made to myself, and, and I have done that in the last, a lot of the marathons I run is I'll just go and enjoy it. So, um, so you keep getting out there, you know, I, I did believe that, that their pace is going to be relatively comfortable. And, no, you know, there were moments leading into the first 20K where I, you know, was struggling at times. Um, I think at around 17K, or 15k, one of the German pacemakers like took us through the tunnel at some ridiculous speed. I think we all measured like a 255 or a 256k through there. <laughs> and we're all looking around going, What is going on? <laughs> and, um, and he just got a wee bit excited. We we had a bit of a crack at him after the race, had a bit of a laugh about it, but um, <laughs> but. Yeah, I made sure, like, leading up to the race that I got to meet pacemakers and we had a good yarn. Like, we were all waiting before the race for about an hour and a half um, in the same room. So we were just all chatting away and having to, talking about rugby and stuff. So um, I got to know the pacemaker as well and we just chatted about the pace and that we would work together. And um, it was good having Andy Buchanan there. Like, we sort of chatted amongst one another during the race and made sure that we organised ourselves well at the, at the bottle station. So it was quite a collective effort to run fast. Um, and then, yeah, when I got to about 15k, I was like, oh, I'm starting to feel the pinch a bit here. And it was quite windy as well. We had a headwind essentially from 6k through to 30k. Um, so we did feel that at times. And there were certain moments in that first 20k where I was like, oh, this could be a bit tough. This is starting to get a bit tough. But I sort of just compartmentalised it a bit and I was like, well, I know I can get to 20K at this pace, so I'll just see where I'm at 20K. And then I got to 20K and I was like, oh, I'm going to definitely get to the half marathon now. Got to the half marathon and then I cracked a joke to Andy. <laughs> and then I was like, well, I can definitely get to 25K. Yeah. And then got to 25K. And then there was quite a tough patch between 24 and 27, which is just like uphill and then into the headwind. And that was a real tough patch. And I actually just got lost contact at that point. Fortunately enough, the guy on the bike that was sort of giving us our pace, um, you know, told us, um, told the pacemakers to slow down a bit. But again, like sort of in those moments, I tend to just go to the things that are valuable to me. And, you know, certainly at around 15 or 16K, you know, when things were getting a bit tough, I was sort of like, oh, well, you know, I need to be courageous here and, and not be afraid to, to blow. Um, you know, I, I don't, if I, if I drop this pack now, it's good night nurse, like, there's no coming back from that. You're running solo and there's nowhere else to go, you know. So I'm not going to run solo. So, yeah, I just got stuck in. and Yeah, and just made it through a field well as well. Like even though I was, you know, starting to feel the pinch a bit, I was, knowing that I was taking on about 120 grams of carbohydrate an hour, so it was quite a lot. Um, so, yeah, I was making sure I was fueling well. And I knew the course pretty well because I ran it most of the like most of the course the week leading up to the race. So that helped as well. Um, so, yeah, no, I just had fun. And at 29 cars on top of the world, I was like, oh, I'm going to run until 11. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to run this last 10K in under 31 minutes. <laughs> and then something happened between 30 and 32K. <laughs> I 
<laughs> I was sort of on the ropes a bit by 32. So, um, but no, yeah, I think there's a number of factors which got me through. Um, yeah. I really just enjoying it and, and having fun was, was a big part of it. Now that's, that's really, really nice to hear. Um, like all those little things that you pull upon when you're out there and when the going gets tough, um, like I know just recently on the weekend, like I did the Gels Park Relays, which was round one for the AFS Victoria cross country season. And um, I went into it thinking, oh, I'm not going to run too well. I haven't been covering much um, volume of running compared to what I used to do. Um, which, And then I just had to check myself on the start line before my leg. I was the fourth leg and I was like, well, maybe I'm just fresher than normal. Maybe um, I'm, I've been really working on my technique and strength and speed and um more sort of athletic sort of stuff and uh and i was wearing spikes and my achilles was pain-free because i'm not doing the same volumes that i usually do so i was like oh maybe if i just focus on my form out there i'll, I'll run well and um i just focused on running the course technically really well and and positioning my body in a re really good positions and um i didn't focus on the time at all which I've had a history of like, if I see my halfway split and it's not where I want to, my pace just suddenly just drops. And I don't know if any other runners get that, but it's it's like suddenly the perceived effort gets even harder and um, and it just becomes, I don't, and, it, and my pace just, just, if you look at my races, they just drop um, drastically. Um, and all that I know, I'm just more aware of, of where I am and maybe I get negative and um, I don't focus on the right things. Um, but yeah, really just simplifying um, my race out there and focusing on what I could do in the moment. Okay, I'll run this downhill, I'll lean into it, I'll work with the hill. All right, I'm running uphill. All right, I'll, I'll um, uh, yeah, try to you know lean into it, lift my knees up a bit more, work with my, my arms and uh, and then just thinking, okay, I've got two Ks to go. I'll, I'll uh, relax down this, down this hill, um, keep the rhythm going, but um, not, um, yeah, um, gather my breath back a little bit so that I can do one last push up the last K. But thinking of it like that was really nice. Like I was more sort of, like you say, process driven and not so like governed by the numbers and, and how, and, and I didn't let that get to me. And I just sort of focused on the, on the moment a little bit more. And I, I ran really well, like f for where I thought I was at. So I was really, really happy. And it was, it was that experience where, um, yeah, it shows, it shows what you focus on out there really can change how you perceptually feel and, um, and how, how painful it is and, uh, and your performance. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I yeah, 100% agree. Yeah. It's, it's much more fun being process driven than outcome yeah. focused. <laughs> yeah, that's really it was really interesting. Um, uh, I probably wanted yeah. So I wanted to like just do, um also just mention um one other uh study that this um Aaliyah Crum mentioned. Um, and she was talking about this study where she had all these um this whole group of people where they um uh had had something that gave them an allergic reaction. Um. And they, half the group were um, told, they were giving an, given an, an inert cream that didn't have a therapeutic effect. It didn't alleviate the allergy. Um, so it wasn't um, an antihistamine. Um, and, but half the groups were told, oh, this is going to help your allergy. 
Um, this is a, um, a cream that alleviates the allergic reaction. And then the other group was given the cream, the same cream, but said this is going to make your allergy worse. And um, the difference in recovery time from the allergy um, was, um, yeah, quite significant, just according to what they were told and their understanding of the cream. Um, so the group that was given the same cream but told that it was going to help them, um, their allergy improved quicker. Um, and in the same study, they did an extension of it, and uh, uh, they also had um, the person who was delivering the cream. Um, some of the people were um, uh, dressed in, um, you know, all, all dressed really nicely. They gave, they looked the person in the eye. Um, they were really warm and friendly. Um, they just looked credible. They knew what they were, they looked like. They knew what they were doing, um, and they were quite friend, friendly bedside manner. And then the other half um, uh, were fumbling um, with things with um, uh, uh, their blood pressure cuff um, that they all had to do. Um, they were um, the student doctor. Um, their room was messy, um, and the. The advice um, that the warm, credible practitioner gave um, uh, made a difference, um, uh, whereas the, the advice that um, the, the uh, less credible, less warm uh, practitioner gave didn't didn't make a difference to the like, at all um, to the um, outcome. Um, so I, I thought like that was such a like such a good study in a way because it shows how important warm warm um relationships are and um ha feeling like um your coach like you you feel like they're they know what they're doing and they're, they're well versed and um you believe you, you're more likely to believe in them and then um yeah the fact that like a cream that was in inert and, and it gave a, a therapeutic effect um so it's essentially like it gave a um yeah, a placebo effect according to what the person was told, so their understanding of the cream, um, but then also um, how credible and warm the person was. Like the fact that that stuff can make a difference, it, it, it needs to be understood um, because, like, so often uh, we we think past that and we just think it's um, to do with um, the actual training we're doing or the the modality that we're using. Um, Whereas there's, there's a little bit more to it. Um, like, I'm not saying that it's like all training is just placebo. Like, obviously, like there's a, there's, um, a, a real physiological uh, training effect, but then there's also this additional placebo effect if um, you get those other variables right. Um, so, yeah, I, I, like, um, and that speaks volumes, like, like in terms of even just hearing your um, example um, with, your, with, with Chris Pallone, Caden, like you've got a great relationship. He's highly versed um, coach who's coached, um, you know, um, Hamish Carter um, to the Olympics, um, to the highest level. Uh, and, and he's, um, you know, experienced a lot of running training himself um, uh, over there in New Zealand. Um, uh, there's that aspect. Um, so, um, you also like debrief and talk about things. So you make sure that you understand the ins and outs of things. Um, you know, why did that not work? Um, uh, so the more understanding that we have about why we're doing what um, means that we're more likely to believe in it too. Um, 
yeah, I've, I've just like, um, I can come up with a few examples in my own running career as well, where, um, like I've had, um, yeah, races where I've really, um, had a, a process of training where I've really believed in it. Um, and then other times where, um, I haven't, and, and it's, it's, it's interesting. Like when I just reflect, like you can, you can, um, yeah, when I just reflect, reflecting some of the results, you can see where, um, like some of those, uh, pieces of the puzzle were down to, um, yeah, yeah, the belief as well. Um, I don't know if you've got like anything else to add there. You know, I think that um, why is certainly more important than the what. Um, you know, and it goes um, the same with physiotherapy. I think I think good explanations behind why you're doing things always helps. You know, and again, it sort of helps people feel like they're on the right path. You know, and if, I think if people feel they're on the right track, then then that really helps. Is sort of some. Um, movement towards the goal um, or a particular outcome and if they feel like they're on that right track then that can help significantly so yeah definitely i'm a big fan of more time spent talking um, yeah than, than doing sometimes um you know about what you're about to be doing um so you know the doing certainly important but um certainly giving people time to talk about the why is really really important 100 percent, yeah um, like I, like I was to, like, I remember, um, probably like the, the biggest example of like where, um, I feel like I personally, um, uh, really benefited from this sort of idea of, um, belief was, um, I, I, I was coached by, um, a coach for seven years and it was a fantastic, um, experience. I learned a lot. But then my performances sort of stagnated. Um, there was a bit of um, internal sort of bickering in the group, um, and it just wasn't fun anymore um, uh, to train with that group. And like so, like the whole point of running for me at that time was like I get back from work and it's just this great, you know, you have a great chat with your mates, and it just wasn't that anymore. And it was interesting how that influenced um, my 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 belief. Like um, like I just didn't. Like, I, I don't know, like it was, I just um, felt like I needed to try something different. Um, so I ended up um, just starting to coach myself um, and try some different stuff. And I was influenced by some other people that um, uh, I'd been watching, like Josh Harris and, and a few other um, people that trained a little bit differently. Um, I did some reading about like, you know, training a little bit more specifically for the marathon um, and so I, I started to like tinker with how I trained. Um, I'd seen other people, like it, it worked for other people. I wanted to try it. I was really enthusiastic about doing something different at that time. And, um, and so then like, I, um, uh, I think like the, the training that I'd done to that, that point, like had really got me, uh, fit. So I was able to do, um, something a little bit different. I trained for Berlin marathon and I wrote a blog. And for 16 weeks, I wrote reflections of my training. Um, uh, and I didn't know it at the time, but I was visualizing um, running the marathon uh, every time I wrote the blog. And, and it really made me really invested in the training. Um, I was loving the whole idea of experimenting and doing different things, uh, things that I'd wanted to try for a while. And I was excited about trying. Um, and every week I felt like, oh, I've got to, you know, really put, 
you know, everything into this because um, I'm writing this blog and I want to go to Berlin. It's the fastest course in the world um, to run a marathon. I want to finish my career knowing that I put myself in the best environment to run the fastest I'll ever run. Um, and I put in an amazing 16-week prep where everything kind of went to plan. And then on the day, um, I ran my PB. I just really believed that I was going to run well that day for a, a number of reasons. Um, and that, that, oh yeah, I went down to four days a week at work as well. So I made just some changes where I really felt like um, I was going to do it that day. And I just remember that day, it, it didn't get hard. Like the whole, like it, I mean, it got hard, but I never doubted myself. Like I just sort of put myself in the pack and then it, and it kind of, you know, there's ups and downs um, like there is in a marathon, but like, and it got hard, but I, I thought I could do it the whole way. Um, and I, and I kept, yeah. So it was, it's just, um, one of those, and everyone, every runner's got those, got those moments in their career where like there, there is a run that for one reason or another just seems to click. Um, but, uh, I, I really like, um, thinking of that one because that was where I feel like, um, for a, a few reasons, like, um, uh, I really believed in myself and, um, and I think sometimes we can put a ceiling on our performance here and there um, as, as runners. Um, we've, um, and if, if you look at some of those, you know, like yourself or some, some Olympians, um, they're just really confident individuals and that kind of what makes them good. Like they do really believe in themselves. And that was one run where I felt like uh, I got it right. And there's a number of runs where I didn't get it right. But um, yeah, I don't know. Have you got anything to add there? No, it's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's yeah. excellent. Yeah. Um, nice. Well, that's sort of all I really wanted to chat about. It was, um, yeah, the importance of belief and, and how, like, obviously, like, if you believe in something, you're going to be more um, motivated and, and happy and, and confident and attend to things and... Uh, and um, the importance of yeah, the coach and athlete relationship in fostering that, the importance of understanding um, your training and, and, and how that can foster belief. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I guess, I guess um, uh, the idea of that we can train, train, train belief and, and the fact that um, uh, if you believe in something, you're going to have like some kind of placebo effect in that. Um, yeah, just the way that you think about something can actually really dictate how responsive you are to training. So if you're, you can have a no, no, no placebo effect to training if you're, if you're like not, not, um, not believing in it, like it's not going to be as effective, um, uh, um, as it could be. Um, Beautiful, mate. Well, I'll let you go because I know you've um, got something um, now. But um, yeah, thanks, thanks heaps for popping on again, and uh, we'll do it again soon. Sounds good, mate.